Hello and welcome to Movie Land. I'm CJ Johnson. Thank you for joining me. In 2009, I went to film school, the Australian Film, Television and Radio School, with Mazia Lahuti. This year, he put out his first feature film, Below, and he joins me on the line from his home in Western Australia. Hello, Mazia. Hey, man. How's it going? Very, very well. Congratulations on Below. You know I enjoyed it very, very much, and I'd love to talk to you all about its creation. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah. No, I'm Ken. Below is currently available in Australia on Stan, and depending on where else you may be in the world, you may find it on a different site. I'm sure Mazia can catch us up to speed at the end. But Maz, this was a film that was adapted from a play by a guy named Ian Wilding, and that play, I seem to remember, came out on stage at least a decade before you made the film. So the play script to the film script must have undergone a lot of changes. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, the way uh, Below came about was uh, uh, Veronica, um, who was one of the early, uh, basically the first producer on the project, and and, uh, uh, she optioned, she was working for Madman and optioned the script to the play and then they were developing her and Ian kind of reset it from it being in a mining camp to being in a detention center and sort of did a version, uh, did, did a draft or two that way. And sort of, it really took shape generally in terms of tone and sort of setting in that. And then they approached me and, and asked me to start giving thoughts on it. And, and that's how I got involved basically. So, so kind of like, their decision to kind of make this um, black comedy sort of meta exploitation film about this circle of exploitation where just everyone's exploiting everyone to try to get out from under their own exploitation and kind of uh, 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 illustrating the sort of limited parameters we're all kind of under relative to these issues and doing that through this really dark, satirical, angry um, kind of way, that that those decisions had kind of been made early on. And they were a lot of part of why I got really excited. It felt, I thought it was really bold what they were trying to do. Um, yeah, so that's how it started. So it did change a lot. I, I read the original script and I wouldn't say it, uh, I'd say in, in spirit, it's and dialogue and obviously Ian's sort of personal touch. A lot of that stuff is there, but the the structure and the story changed completely. Yeah. So you were originally brought on essentially as a script editor. Um, no, not always with the with the mind of like potentially directing, but like basically I was brought on at first to just give my thoughts on the script. Like what what do I you know um. What do I like? What do, do I not like? And then eventually uh, they brought me up to, or well, I was up in Melbourne, and they brought me in to sort of have a first kind of real discussion on what I thought I wanted it to be. And I kind of put forward this idea of um, partly because I'm aware of how much resource, I was kind of keenly aware of how much resources we were going to have. So even though it's great to want to do the sort of really fight club-esque black comedy set in a detention centre with all that, we really, if you want to have fights and things like that, we, we really had to contain it. So the fighting element was just sort of one part of the original script, but we decided to focus in on that. Um, 
and make that and 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 sort of the process of developing it was with the goal of of eventually just turning into a it, turning it into something really focused um but it was always directorial um even though it sounds script editory but the, i guess in many ways the feedback you're giving when you're directing or when you're a script editor it it, it, it isn't necessarily that that far from each other you know and what allowed you in on those discussions as a potential director? Do you think it was your body of work as a short film director or more of your body of work as a writer? Uh, definitely the short film work. Like my writing hadn't really um, gained much traction at that point. But Veronica, who so, just, uh, was just so awesome, like she um, – she, had been across all my short films and all my failed applications to Screen Australia over the years, and and when she left there, um, she she I guess thought of me partly because it, even though in my short films, um, well, I mean, I think maybe she saw in my, in my short films that I dabbled in that kind of tonal territory a little bit for some stuff, but also I think um, a large part of it has to have been and i'm not saying this is a bad thing but i think uh there was always a sort of assumption that tackling this would be quite maybe would be seen as a controversial way to do it so i think they took care to try to find someone of like a group identity i mean because i'm iranian of a group identity that's 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 of i guess the world that the film is kind of playing in um, and I think uh, I think that must have played into it a little bit, um, but I hope it was just because of because they liked my shorts and that. I'm sure that was the reason for Veronica. Well, it gives us you know our first sort of learnable lesson from speaking to someone who's made their first feature film, which is something we've heard time and time again, which is inevitably to cross that line between being a sort of short filmmaker into a feature filmmaker somebody needs to believe in you. There's usually at the heart of every filmmaker's story one person early in their career, one person who believes in their ability. Absolutely, absolutely. And, you know, I mean, you're right. And and I think for me there's been several of those people throughout the, the years, you know, because it's weird because the opportunities that sort of become the opportunities that, I mean, most Filmmakers in this country write write their first movie. You know what I mean. Um, mm. And and uh, so because it sort of developed this way for me, um, that was that that sort of requires, I think, a lot more kind of faith from people. You know what I mean, like around you, uh, 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 because ultimately you're just a short filmmaker. So. So um yeah I think I think um that early belief um from Veronica and and Ian the writer I think really um really made made a difference in fact the whole the whole way I think if I didn't have their kind of support also because the idea itself is it it it, it sort of fits what you'd expect what it might be expected that like I'd, I'd someone like me you know with my group identities and that would make but also be, it, it, I don't really I don't know if you noticed, but like I'm not really um I, I, I'm 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 a little bit more in 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 sort of line with like the older liberal sort of values and principles of like Martin Luther King and the women's rights. Right, you know I believe in character before identity, and 
I did notice that like in coming through the process of financing and all the sort of meetings and all that, I did really notice something strange that that was sort of almost it was assumed that I should go identity before character. And that actually made the development process really interesting because my natural way to work things is to take what people assume of someone, take people's expectations and then counter that in the film experience. So, I mean, I just thought it was a really interesting way to approach it. And the producers were pretty keen on, on that approach as well. Um, you know, it was a bold, it, it was a bold move, but I do have to say as well, like it was probably um, a bit too risky for my first movie. Cause I just think most people didn't know what to, how to react to it, you know? Right. We'll we'll get to sort of um, it it being birthed out into the world um, when we get to that. But just to put it in context for those who haven't seen it, essentially uh, we follow a young man played by Ryan Kaur who's got a bit of a gambling thing going on on the dark web and in order to get square, he's essentially forced to go work for his mother's partner at a detention centre that has essentially been excised from Australia. So it's on Australian soil, but essentially the part of Australian soil that it's on has been declared no longer part of Australia and therefore the detention centre is not held accountable for what goes on within its walls. Within that, he discovers this system of cage fighting that's being used by the higher-ups to essentially keep the detainees in line and what follows is a black comedy that as you say is a bit of fight club i would suggest it's a bit of road warrior a bit of catch 22 um that is about this young man's experience of at first trying to profit from this cage fighting scenario and ultimately finding some kind of moral redemption now i would suggest that if you haven't seen the film you go watch the film go watch it on stan or wherever it's available in your region and then come back to this conversation because we're going to talk uh, about the film in its entirety so in other words spoiler alert and hopefully welcome back and hopefully you've now seen the film so yeah Maz it's in setting it in this Australia but not Australia this place where the detention centre because Australia really has detention centres but this is a detention centre that is essentially quote unquote not on Australian soil you instantly place the film into I guess sci-fi territory or alternate reality territory but it's not really an intense quote-unquote sci-fi film absolutely yeah you're spot on yeah do you do you see it as set in the future or just in a separate reality yeah so i mean we basically see it as set in in kind of like you know anywhere from five to ten years from now but also in an alternate reality so like just imagine it uh, a wild escalation of of kind of current geopolitical uh, uh, events to some kind of precipice, um, and and so we sort of tried to sort of uh, give a sense that it's grounded in the real world, but slowly over the course of the film, we kind of build this uh, uh, what we hope is sort of kind of a subtle cyberpunk sort of um, um, reality to it. A part of the reason for that was um, so much of what what we're trying to say, uh, 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 what we were trying to sort of say say about sort of what the the subject matter in that is is kind of the the vacuousness of of kind of rhetoric and optics and how that kind of ends up becoming the whole thing, you know. So it, it's kind of 
building on this idea that that you know like like we just it, you know how politicians how we're always politicians are always kind of lying but not lying you know like it's sort of like technically yeah. the truth but not the truth so it's just kind of like taking that to the extreme so like we've not only got detention centers in Australia because they've annexed that land everyone get to say we don't have detention centers you know and ultimately we just wanted to create this situation where we've not where we're normalizing this harrowing horrific kind of activity you know clearly in it, 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 ex, exploiting it in a way that kind of really references stuff like natural born killers but trying to make a comment with that with with that exploitation in a way um yeah, yeah. It, it is like the central catch-22 of catch-22 which is so ridiculous if you if you declare yourself insane you can leave the army but anyone who wants to leave the army must be sane and therefore must stay in the army <laughs> the same central conceit of your film that it's we don't have detention centers in australia because we've decided that this plot of land is not in australia exactly you know exactly and and you know for me and 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 i guess for a lot of us when we were developing the thing but for me in terms of just wanting to express myself a lot of a lot of you'll notice probably feel there's a lot of anger frustrated sort of anger and raging at the void in the film and and a lot of that comes from just i think this feeling that we all kind of live with right now in that we kind of feel like at least i feel like we're, we're sort of living a little bit in a world where you're punished for doing the right thing more and more and thinking the right thing and 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 everything's so backwards you know the right is wrong and left is right and and it's so confusing and and i just think in that world there's something really interesting about making this absolute drop kick that is Dougie kind of the most sane person there you know um eventually um but in in the redemption aspect of it i'm glad it sort of feels a bit like that for Dougie but 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 what what i hope it also comes across as is that that it's well and truly a tragedy you know nothing is sort of solved by the end of it and i think and 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 that's very much on purpose so we wanted to leave you with that feeling of he's sort of okay but not really she's sort of okay but not really only reason that matters to us is because we've been following them but everything keeps going you know so there's a there's a real tragic sadness to it which is part of why i thought it was important to try to infuse the thing with some satire you know um i think the reality of it is 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 harrowing you know yeah well, i think the films it, it it's a bold big colorful film full of ideas you really swing hard but i think the film's boldest element is its mixture of tones um that combination and almost that collision of black comedy with serious themes with tragic elements um, and because you are setting it within a detention center, albeit an alternate reality one, with, you know, political content. So how did you talk about tone and how did you convey the tone to your entire crew and cast? Yeah, so the tone, tone was pretty much the biggest discussion and my biggest, the biggest part of my job throughout the whole thing because, um, yeah, I had to reach these tonal extremes and, and still bridge those tonal extremes in a way so that there was a feeling of tonal consistency and from 
having a lot of experience watching these movies, I'm well aware that that tonal consistency is lost if you're not totally focused. You know, when you go from high to low, you really need to focus in. So what I'm, all the noisiness and all that stuff and all that it is all me just trying to uh, invite the audience to fully just just let the film take them away. Um, because um, it, it, it is a really big challenge for an audience and it can feel incongruous if, if, if the sort of uh, 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 wave isn't handled right so the way so first of all i just studied all the films that we were referencing which went from like like you said stuff like road warrior but also clockwork orange fear and loathing in las vegas um uh, uh fight club obviously stuff like that like dark black comedies that 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 managed to go go to both extremes um uh, 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 and eventually natural born killers became a strong reference because because sort of originally the the feel originally the intention from every from all of us was to make it a more kind of death of Stalin kind of uh, grounded with a bit of heightened performances. You know how the setting and everything and all the everything is real and grounded in that, but the characters and the performances is, is a, feels a bit heightened. You know because of various things. Like we wanted to go that way, but the reason, but because of the our budget got cut, sort of like. At, at a way into like already having got a lot of financiers attached to sinking the script <laughs> to fit the new budget became really difficult. So we essentially ended up with the only option to shoot the place in a place called Fremantle prison. And that's a great location, but the problem with it is because the, the setting is a character in the film. If you, you have to go, if you want to go with the grounded tone, the setting has to be real and real requires detail. So if you set anything in a Federation prison, immediately your tone goes up to abstract heightened, you know? So I had to right. embrace that, you know what I mean? Like, and also it was made even harder by the Fremantle prison is in the middle of Perth. So I had to somehow create the sense that this place was out in the middle of nowhere without really having the resources to do so, which may, meant I had to do it really abstractly in this opening with paintings and things. And I think that worked. But the problem with being locked into those parameters in terms of that, that is that they essentially ended up demanding that the tone, instead of being grounded and sort of pushing it a bit here and there, that we just go balls to the wall from the get-go. And, and I embraced that, and so did, did all the actors. But the key, obviously, the final key in all of that is the, the lead because it all carries around the lead. So I ended up defining each character in terms of where they sort of sat on a tonal chart, who was above Dougie, who's below Dougie, and where Doug, who's Dougie the anchor to. We also did that with all the scenes and sort of throughout the, the film and all that. So... In essence, um, uh, there's so much work that goes into it, but I think the hard, the key is the lead actor because because if they 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 said it, everything they're like the tent pole that everything has to settle around, you know. Um, right. So yeah, yeah. Though of course, in antagonism to Dougie, the protagonist, you've got Anthony Lapalia playing uh, Terry. It's Terry. Yes who's the head of this place and who forces Dougie to go work at this place for him. And it's, I've got to say, it's the most entertaining 
performance I saw in an Australian movie this year, and it's not something I've ever seen Anthony LaPaglia do. It was quite extraordinary. Can you tell us about the conversations you had with him? Yeah, man. Look, um, uh, 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 me and Anthony from the get-go were like, look, we want to sh- show everyone a version of you that we haven't s- nobody's seen. And I've seen everything he's done. I know everything he's done. And my version of uh, – I always imagine Anthony as like someone who could have um, – uh, you know, this is just pure diff fantasy casting, but I totally reckon he could have played Tony Soprano. If anyone could have held a candle to Gandolfini, I think La Paglia could have, could have. Like, and I think he still can. And I'm aware that that, that part of his persona um, uh, and ability hasn't been utilised much. So I just wanted to create, I just wanted to, to, to kind of create this Tony and Christopher dynamic between Dougie and Terry. Um, right. And, and, and um, in terms of the Scottish accent, I mean, it was always important that Dougie, that Terry was an, an immigrant as well, you know. Um, as, so originally, because Ian's from, you know, the UK, he was more in that line. But then uh, Anthony suggested he, he'd do it sort of Scottish. And at first, I mean, there were with like purists, there were consideration about the, the sort of how, you know, that it sounds a little bit muddied and all that. But to me, as a multilingual person, that makes total sense because, I mean, I, 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 I don't, I mean, where I, I mean, I speak three languages and I, my, the way I talk changes completely depends on who, depending on who I talk to, you know. So it made yeah. total sense to me. And, in fact, I like the idea that even that his accent, you sort of, Kinda couldn't pick it in a little way, but but you sort of could if you're really thinking about it. But I like the fact that it kind of gave him a kind of internationalism, you know. Yeah. Why was it so important that he was an immigrant? Well, just to kind of be a counter to the fact that all the other, you know, all the people he's um, kind of in charge of, literally oppressing, um, are also immigrants. You know what I mean? So it's just the yin to the yang kind of thing. Um, right. Sort of like how basically, uh, I guess Ian, and and this is something might be worth it, Ian. But I think Ian was trying to say something about how we're all immigrants, you know. Um, right. Yeah. Especially here. Now, the um, Ian's play originally was set in a mining community. That's right. Mm-hmm. Yep. Right. So his characters, I guess, I suppose, were were there by choice, but I guess maybe economically not. Uh, exactly. Yeah. No. It was it was that kind of thing. I mean, his one was that one felt very much like a kind of uh, uh, saying something about you know the the form of uh, uh, I guess kind of how that's kind of work and sort of feel like slavery or modern slavery in its own way. Um, so yeah. But one thing that did get coded. The thing about Ian's writing is that tone, that sort of Dougie character. That's very characteristic of of all his writing and that character um was in the original play and and i was almost carried across exactly i mean we merged a few other characters into him but um mm-hmm. but uh yeah that character that sort of a court court fool kind of thing um that's very much a characteristic of of ian's writing yeah. right and, and it very very close to yasarian in catch 22 yes. Yeah. Very. That, I saw direct parallels there. Absolutely. I mean, all those things were, were uh, you know, definitely references for me. I'm sure references for Ian as well. 
So you've got Fremantle Prison in the middle of Perth. Yeah. But then, as you say, you create the fictional reality that it's out in the middle of kind of nowhere, out in this kind of desert, mm. and that's where the cage fighting takes place, somewhere on the outskirts outside of the prison and very much in a, in a location that appears to be out the middle of nowhere, very much sort of the road warrior type aesthetic. So where was that and um, how was shooting out there? Well, that was a salt lake that was just sort of within the, the range of where we could shoot. But when I say just, that means we lost basically two hours of shooting per day going out there um, in terms of travel time. So it cut our shoot day down by a lot, which was hard because those were all the days we were shooting the fighting, you know. Mm. Um, uh, and that, you know, we had four, literally 20 days to shoot the whole thing and 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 a week of that was out there. And considering how much of the movie is out, so like it was, it, it, it was difficult, but it was also... Um, it was also it was just a, a challenge, you know. But yeah, we just did what we could. But look, for me, even though um, uh, originally th- there was a lot of people pushing sort of fight movie, but I'm also I'm kind of like always been aware that like well, you can't really have a proper fight movie if you don't have the rehearsal time for it. So we were very limited in terms of what we could do. So I was aware from the get go that we were only going to be able to rehearse really short fights. Um, because that itself takes long time to just get right. So I wanted to kind of, but also kind of because of the nature of what the film's about, exploiting, exploitation of people, exploiting others and all that, I kind of wanted to sort of, in a cheeky way, sort of promise promise something that you just weren't going to, that I wasn't going to give you the experience that, that maybe you're expecting, um, which is a little bit, um cheeky you know but i just um i just felt like uh yeah so the fighting the fighting um the fighting was really interesting um and fun but hard and but i think we ended up saying what we wanted to say with it and and basically just trying to i just tried to horrify like i tried to make you want it you know by sort of starting off by being a bit distant and just getting closer but when I finally let you in there, I wanted to horrify you. You know, I didn't want to make, I didn't want any audience member to be sitting there in the middle of that fight and be going, this is cool. I wanted them to be terrified. Um, but, uh, but i got to tell you, honestly, when I first cottoned on to the fact that all of the fighting was going to have this stylized sheen to it and there were going to be these slow motion effects and I don't know, hypersaturation, all of the all of the effects you used to give it the stylistic vibe that you did. I felt relieved because I didn't want to necessarily sit through three or four brutal, realistic fights. Good. And what you gave me instead was more accessible in a way, and in a way less brutal, because it was it was experiential rather than you know get down and dirty and really shock you with what looked real do you know what i mean absolutely i'm so glad to hear you say that like that's i mean that that was exactly the intention but i just assumed that a lot of people for so originally i i don't know anything about marketing or anything so when i'm when i'm sort of like when i was sort of constructing this movie the audience i was imagining was like 
me, you know, as a 16, 17, 18 year old, you know, that kind of audience. So I wasn't really prepared for the fact that none of the people that I thought was going to go see the film went and saw the film. And the people who did go and see the film were, were probably people. Uh, I mean, I'm so glad you liked it, but I was, I think, um, I think it, 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 it was just a hard film to get out in front of the right audiences. But I'm so glad that you had that reaction to it because I really didn't want, like, I really didn't want to just, like, like do that with this stuff. And But I also wanted to give that, I also wanted to sort of maintain that sense of um, uh, forks glorification, you know? Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I don't think your audience is 16-year-old boys who want to go see people fighting. I think your audience is... Uh, sort of wiser adults who want to see a political satire about Australia. Man, I I hope so, man. I mean, that's why I was was really confused about... Look, I mean, I'll I'll be honest, I I was so excited that you liked the film because over the last year I I was sort of confused because when it came out at Myth, it did, it did, you know, the reviews, all, all the reviews I've read, I mean, some are really good, some are kind of okay, and, 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 you know, some are in between like yours, but none of them are really bad, you know? So I was expecting that, like, if you're not getting bad reviews and, and some of, and the ones you're getting are pretty good, that you sort of get more, but it's, but I sort of got this weird feeling that a lot of people might have really disliked the film, for some reason withheld their opinion which I really wish they wouldn't have done because if, if for people who didn't like the film or have issues with it for whatever reason, I, I was so excited to try to read their opinion because I, I want to get better at this, you know what I mean? So I was a bit confused as to the sort of silence of, 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 of Australian reviews except yourself and a, and, and, and a few others, you know, who I've really enjoyed reading. Um, but I'm glad to hear you say that for that reason, you know. Yeah, no, I think I think one of the things about the film that makes it special is that it is uncompromising. You know, it doesn't tick all sorts of boxes. As you say, the nature of the ending is pretty bleak. You know, the redemption arc is fractured. It's not a traditional fight film. It doesn't allow you to enjoy it on a sort of visceral level or on an action movie level. And so you've made much more of a work of art rather than a crowd pleaser and therefore it's instantly going to have its appeal, you know, reduced to the marketplace. Yeah. Oh, well, I'm so glad, you know, I'm, I'm so glad you say that. I mean, look, I'll, I'll tell you something funny. I mean, because you know how I mentioned that Natural Born Killers was one of the, was a big reference once we sort of yeah. went into the really heightened territory. So I grew up loving that film to me that film was next to pop fiction and fight club it was one of the most influential films of my life so i loved it now i was never aware until like a couple of months ago when i read oliver stone started reading oliver when i read oliver stone's bio and he sort of hints at it that i didn't realize how badly received natural born killers was when it came out and then i started looking up the other movies that i was referencing like fight club fear loathing in las vegas and Clockwork Orange and, and all those. And I'm going, you know, those movies all have stars with big filmmakers behind it. And they got hammered when they first came out. You know, now we recognize them as, as like you said, art, something else, you know. But, but they got hammered. And I just sat there going, oh, I really should have thought about, about that yeah. before I started referencing all my favorite movies. Um, yeah, anyway. It does feel... 
for a first time feature filmmaker working on the parameters that you've already talked about, it does feel that somehow you were able to make the film that you wanted to make. Like it feels like a film where the director really got to put out their vision, that you had a lot of freedom. I don't know if that's true or not, but that's how it feels. Uh, yes, yes. I mean, I mean, look, filmmaking is always, you're always problem solving. You know, your parameters are always just getting tighter and tighter and you're trying to solve problems within those parameters. So, yeah, I think... I think as 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 it happens, you know, in the process of, of filmmaking, I think we we were able to respond to all of the challenges and the parameters that are closing in and, and the sort of limited resources and all that in a way where we were able to sort of, or at least I feel I was able to turn that. My goal was to turn every lack of anything into a feature. So I wanted you to feel like, Oh no, there's no shit around because there's no budget for anything. You know, in the story world, they have to. You know, there's no. It's all like I wanted everything to feel like that was that 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 was there because because it, it was meant to be. And the way to do that was to actually just make it that. So I did embrace everything. And once we got rolling, and the producers sort of because they were across the country, uh, it, we didn't really start properly working together on the filmmaking until they got here and once that started happening yeah yeah no I, I really got to just well I, got, I did get to do kind of what I just wanted but also we didn't have much choice like for example you'll notice um the film has a lot of has this filmed play quality about it right and and it's sort of uh lots of long shots long dialogue shots and all that you were following people and we do and and I love doing that, and I loved having to develop that aesthetic for it. But the reason I had to develop that aesthetic for it was because as soon as I knew that we only had 20 days to shoot it, I knew that we were only going to be able to shoot a certain amount of shots per day. So I knew that yeah. I had to develop an aesthetic that naturally lent itself to that rather than doing what what often is done where you sort of just make your ideal thing and you just get what you can get. So I think in doing it the way we did – we could we made it feel like like I don't think it's a compromised product because we sort of we 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 cut the built the table to the cloth. Is that how the saying goes? You know, uh, I don't know, but it is true. Yeah. Always, you know, always constraints breed creativity. There's no doubt about Absolutely. that. Absolutely. And and man, you know, uh, uh, once we started, once with the actors, we found the tone. You know. Um, then it, it just got so much fun, you know. Those act like yeah. all the actors were uh, were just so much fun to work with. Yeah, yeah. The one, one, yeah. Uh, and I did, yeah. So so I did. I'm, I mean, it was a brief. Like it was like this is what we want, and and I got to do basically, you know, everything within those parameters to to make that happen. But there was collaboration as well, you know what I mean? Like all the way through, which is natural and expected, you know. Well, on that, before I let you go, I'll just say if you hadn't had the constraint and you didn't have to shoot in Fremantle Prison, you alluded earlier to what you would have had as your primarily uh, as your primarily like primary location before you got that kind of mid pre-production budget cut. Yeah. So what were you envisaging just in the in the film that takes place in your mind? Yeah, so there's a nickel there's an abandoned nickel mining camp just outside of Perth which looks exactly like the detention centers look. 
Um, uh, and it's lit, I'm pretty sure it's built by the same people. Like it looks exactly the same, and it's set out in the middle of nowhere. Um, so, so originally the plan was to shoot there, um, uh, uh, but but you know, and uh, yeah, and then we we had to adapt. But again, it just goes to show, you know, because it's like everything is a different movie. You know what I mean? So, like, if we would have cast this person, it'd be that maybe. If we would have cast this person, it'd be that maybe. So, so with this, it's like. As as soon as as it rather than sort of um, slavishly sticking to the original plan, we just adapted to the changes. You know what I mean? Um, and and that equaled in this case, sort of really embracing the heightened, unabashedly embracing the heightened uh, abstract tone, which I think gave us a lot of freedom to explore and, like you said, try to create a kind of a work of art in a way. Yeah, and I think you have. I think it's highly original. It's unique, and um, it's different, and stands on its own. It's it's outside a lot of the parameters of other films, and I think that its point of difference is what makes it uh, so exciting. Thank you, man. And look, it's also available on iTunes and Google Play, and I think Telstra Play, and I think YouTube Play. But I, I don't think it's available outside of Australia, except maybe on Pirate Bay or something. But um, yeah, so it's on all those platforms. So yeah. Cool. Excellent. And you can see it on Stan as well if you are in Australia. If you're listening this far, you might have already seen it. Otherwise, I hope we've wet your whistle. It was uh, co-written and directed by Mazia Lahoudi, oh. who's been my guest. Oh, sorry. I, d- I didn't. I, I just, me and Veronica and Ian, we, we sort of collaborated a bit on, on, on the story, but it was totally yeah. it was totally written, written like the script was written by Ian. But but we all sort of worked together on the, on the story by if that makes oh, okay. yeah. um, good of you to good of you to clarify that. Mm. Have a happy new year, Maz, and let's get back together on Movie Land sometime in the new year. Absolutely. Can't wait. <laughs>